0: We might just be in France, but this is global. It's Football 2019 and this is its brand new face. What's up? I am Monkey. And I'm Heath. And this is Football Inside Out, a podcast from Copa90. We're coming to you every day, bringing you the excitement from the 2019 Women's World Cup in France. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, and hit that button so you never miss an episode.
1: And today's a bit of a special episode. We are on the road today, moving the Copa90 clubhouse from Paris to Lyon. Sorry to say goodbye to l'imprimerie in Paris, that's where our clubhouse was, um, and everybody that came but our new home until the end of the tournament is Super Sank in Lyon, which is Super 5, Uh, so make sure if you're there, you come and join us. We're screening all of the remaining matches, and there's lots of fun stuff going on, and we're open a lot later, so it's going to be a party atmosphere. And today's episode is all about the legend that is Abby Wambach. We recorded a long-form conversation with her when she came into the Paris Clubhouse last week, and we thought we'd save it to share it with you in full.
0: But before we get into that, here is our top five moments of the tournament. Football Inside Out by copper 90 number one opening game for me yeah special moment
1: it was incredible it just it set the stage and you were there
0: i was there and it was the first women's world cup game that i'd ever been to and the atmosphere was amazing really blew me away
1: do you think you'll ever forget
0: that no never because it was extra special for me because i'd never watched women's football on a stage that big before
1: did you did you get choked not crying but did you get choked up like do you, you know in that moment where you kind of swallow deep and you're like wow this is incredible
0: yeah yeah and and like in the other games that we watched as well, I felt like a little kid. I felt like the eight-year-old me was watching it and was still like in awe of what was going on. Yeah. So I was excited for all the other
1: kids watching too. That's incredible. Number two, the clubhouse got better and better as the tournament went on. We had some inclement weather early on, wasn't a ton of foot traffic the first couple days and then it just ramped up. And then from there it just became sort of once people started to hear about it they started showing up regularly. Uh, We were running out of beer every day, running out of Red Bull every day. Um, and it got better and better. Yeah. So, uh, uh,
0: big up to the Chilean fans, by the way, who absolutely took over this place a couple of times. Yeah.
1: Also, big up to all of our COVID nineteen team that have been going hard. Yes. Since the start to make sure people are showing up every day and making sure they have a good time and a little bit of air conditioning once in a while. Big up the team. Yeah, Number three, we've had some very fun guests. Yes, very fun and cool. You yeah,
0: say. <laughs> very fun and cool guests. <laughs> I wrote down fun, you wrote down cool, so fun yeah. and cool is a good compromise and
1: both correct. Um, who is your favorite guest? Um, well, real quickly, so if people don't know, we've had Julie Foudy, Heather mm. O'Reilly, Miss Banks, Lisa Freestyle, Soccer Girl Probs, uh, Susanna Collins, we had uh, uh, Nadia Nadeem, Um, Ada Ada Hegerberg yeah I know Um, my favorite guest yeah honestly Ada was probably my favorite
0: yeah yeah I was gonna I was a toss up between Ada and Heather O'Reilly
1: well like Heather and Julie and these people I've been around before and so they were amazing guests but Ada had no idea what to expect so I was just like kind of she could come in here, like some people that don't know anything and have her wall up and just be very quiet and shy. But she was just like all in on it, which is amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, so she was wicked. Okay, well, I'll go with two. too. Okay. Uh, number four, we going for a personal one to so the last two.
1: Yeah, you can have four then. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a closer, you know what I mean?
0: Pers- pers- <laughs> personally, <laughs> watching England play, of yeah. course. It's been person, amazing
1: for me. Or just the whole tournament?
0: Uh, just the whole tournament. Um, every other day, I get to watch them play, which is amazing. And in a great atmosphere in the clubhouse as well. And uh, such, a, it's kind of a... I was looking at the lineup for the 2015 squad and it's such a, a different like starting eleven, yeah. and still so strong. And it's been nice to watch um, a few of the players that I've been watching in the league back at home here in the World Cup and see them all play together. And the, after meeting a few of them as well, it's nice to see them play.
1: The upside um, is that... You get to watch them two more times, no matter what. Exactly, which is kind of cool. Yeah, once um, in the semis and uh, once in the final. I'm just saying oh, which means leads me to number five. <laughs> My personal favorite moment is actually watching the U.S. play. Yeah, I, I, I've always gone to the U.S. matches. You know, being kind of a ex-U.S. international, feeling very awkward. Like I've never really cheered on the men's team. Why? Also, the men's team was never really winning anything. Yeah. But going to the two matches that I've gone to of the women's team, like I was like I almost lost my voice last night or a couple of days ago yeah. when they played. Just in it. You... It, just, it, it's it's an easy thing to rally behind when it's like the champions and and you know they're they're a good team. It just makes it all the more interesting because France were really good. But yeah, just getting to experience the U.S. in person at a World Cup and and have my two daughters here at one point. Yeah. Uh, at the, like it's going to be cool to like brag to them someday that I took them to their first World Cup when they were two and a half and one and one well I guess almost three and that's pretty that. cool yeah that's pretty cool yeah.
0: they had a fun time in the clubhouse they were dancing around a lot
1: yeah I'm going to get a lot of cool dad points
0: a lot of cool yeah. dad points I heard you were rowdy the other night in that USA France game yeah you were like the own. there weren't many American fans around us I felt we were sat, sat around quite a few like French fans Yeah. but when you guys scored I could definitely hit you well,
1: yeah I was I was really into it from the start to finish yeah. it was like nerve wracking and also there was a guy with a horn behind me and that's yeah. what pretty much like like patriotism comes in a lot of weird ways, but a horn in the ear for ninety minutes is one way to make me generally hate French fans. No, they were they were the atmosphere was incredible, but it was for me it was a really special moment.
0: Yeah, you smashed it, You smashed the you represented hard that night. Uh, so those are the five things that you need to know about,
1: or our personal highlights. Now let's get to our full length interview with Abby Wambach.
0: Copper ninety icons. Icon.
1: Abby, thank you for joining us. How, how long have you been in Paris for?
2: We got here the day before last. Uh, so the night before USA's game against Sweden. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been wonderful. Um, you know, I love Paris. Paris is one of the, my favorite cities in the world. And being able to be here with my whole family. So our three kids, Glennon and both of her parents are with us. Um, it's been, it's been unreal and so fun to watch the games from the perspective of the fan and not be on the bench or on the field stressing about every little bit and piece. Although I am still a little stressed.
1: Do you feel like traveling now is different now that you sort of have to plan your, your own travel? It's you, terrible. You've got a, a, an army of people you're traveling with it's instead terrible. of it, somebody being like, just These are the steps to the bus. Get on there. We'll take you where you're going.
2: (laughs) So yesterday I had a mild freak out. Um, My wife was like, you're crazy town right now. So uh, we went, where did we go? We went somewhere. We were going on um, some tourist adventure and we were going to Eiffel Tower and we needed to be back to our hotel at a certain point to get the safety briefing because we're traveling in the friends and family program with US soccer. Um, And then we were going to get on the buses to to drive all the way to Havre or however you say that which is like two and a half hour drive. So I was like super stressed that we weren't going to get down from the Eiffel Tower. And so I'm like, you know, we got to take the elevator and, you know, getting really stressed. She's like, you know, don't worry about it. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like I am in charge of all seven of us. (laughs) and. I don't like it. I don't like to be in charge. Thank goodness for uh, Glennon's sister and uh, a woman who helped set up our whole family vacation. I didn't have to like get in the weeds on the details. But now I'm the person that produces and like gets it done and makes sure that we are everywhere we need to be in on time. So from that perspective, I like to not be in charge. But here I am um, just crushing Paris, just loving yeah. it. Uh, and doing every touristy thing you possibly can do with the kids. What's the uh, friends and family program? So um, the thing that U.S. soccer ha- always offered uh, my family is this opportunity to travel and do the World Cup or do the Olympics uh, with the team. Mm. Um, so so the whole premise is that U.S. soccer wants to make sure that the players doesn't have a thing to worry about. And the number one thing that all players worry about when they're in the World Cup is is my family taken care of. Like. You know, we have general managers and people who plan our entire event or our entire um, travel experience. uh, But our families would not have that. So U.S. Soccer provides that to the friends and family, which makes it um, way easier. But but you know, there's still things you got to get to, right? You got to do the safety briefing because when you're in a foreign country, U.S. Soccer wants to make sure that people are doing everything in their power to make sure that they stay safe and um, avoid harm or harmful situations. And they bus us to and from the games and there's a, a hotel that we stay at. So it's lovely and it's, and it's kind of quite fun for me to see how my family lived and operated throughout all of my world championships on the team. But it's all, you're all
0: settled in now, you're fine, calm. Yeah. Yes. That's good, that's good news. Yeah, yeah, I feel calm. You're not running
2: around with a clipboard trying to get your family from A to Z. No, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, and the other part of our trip is like the touristy part outside of the games. Um, just trying to figure out what like things, what what sites we want to go see. I have a big binder in our hotel room that you know every day I flip the binder and here's our our itinerary for the day. Thank goodness, because you know I'm a detail person. I'm not a detailed person in terms of creating them. I'm really good at following directions, like all athletes are. Who like. created the binder? Yeah. So Glennon's sister Amanda and Dina um, from from home. They work for us, and you know Glennon and I. We travel so much that we need people to help us with it. And um, truthfully, it's better off that way. <laughs> like like I said, I'm very good at following directions.
1: So you have a binder, and each day has got sort of your itinerary built onto it. Yes. And.
2: Yes. And that's probably why I get like, because I know how much work they put into creating this itinerary for us. So, you know, making sure that we hit everything on that, on that itinerary list is important to me.
1: Do you in your post career now have the ability or sort of have that same sort of anxiety of knowing you have somewhere to be in terms of training? Does it, impair your ability to have a good time at times when you know there's something next that you have to like even coming in here today didn't it, did it impair your morning on just relaxing and having fun knowing you had something to of, do after yeah
2: of course it's like but when you live a lifetime with knowing that that's the way that life is it's like okay then working out isn't as hard then eating well isn't as hard it's like That's life. Like you gotta, you gotta manage the times when you have off, and then when you, you know, I'm very good at being, being on when I'm on and being off when I'm off. So, you know, these vacations, they're not for rest. When you're with children, vacations overseas or any vacation is not a vacation. (laughs) There is no time that you get to like sit down and relax. This morning we're at the Louvre. We're walking all over the Louvre, doing that. um, And now I'm here. And then tomorrow we've got like a six hour tour and the next day we're doing Versailles. So it's like, there's things that we as parents just have to do to give our kids the kind of culture that I was able to have, like that I was able to get on the national team. But yeah, that, that's funny. That's Rest. The
0: downtime that you were talking about, when you do take downtime, we were talking about uh, on Instagram and stuff. We've like limited ourselves now to like an hour on social media and stuff. Cause I didn't even realize you could do that until like four days ago. Do you do that at all? Or are you like completely off? As in turn off everything work-wise, were you like half in, half out?
2: Right. So me personally, um, I haven't really been on my Instagram or Twitter since I've gotten to Paris. We don't let our kids have social media. I think that social media, I mean, I'm surely addicted. I think everybody in the world is, if you're on it, it's not an easy thing to like have a good relationship with. Mm -hmm. It's like the parts of your brain that light up are the same parts of your brain that light up with you know, drug addictions. It's just like a real thing. It's like biological. So I think it's kind of like the smoking of the 1950s. Like that's what social media is now. And in 10 years, 20 years, we're going to really learn about these like terrible side effects. So I'm trying to limit as much as my of of the social media um, that I try to do. But there's things for my job. And as a female athlete or a former female athlete, You have to exhaust every possible avenue in order to be relevant, earn a living and create which and I hate this word, but I'm going to say it anyway, like create a brand for yourself that you can go out and sell and that you can sell to corporate worlds or um, give you a platform to be postable, right? On social media. So, and I know that Copa90 lives online and I think that that's really, it, it, it's important, but making sure that you have like a, pro, a, like a positive relationship with social media is super important. Let's
1: talk a little bit about uh, tournament management. Mm. So, you know, we're well into the tournament now, well into the knockout rounds. You as a player at this point have probably been in a hotel for a month and a half. How are you staying sane?
2: I don't think that that's actually possible. (laughs) I think that you're just managing every hour as best as you can. So you get a few games under your belt. Nobody's 100%, not a single player on the team. I don't care if you've even not played a minute. Everybody is is carrying around something, whether it be tired legs or um, you got need in the quad or you kind of rolled your ankle. Um, And a lot of this stuff you know, I know this sounds terrible, but you don't want to actually even acknowledge it. So oftentimes during world championships, I wouldn't even like go into the training room and tell the trainers like, hey, my calf is tight. I would just roll my calf by myself because I didn't want to let anybody know that there was any problem, right? So managing your body and managing the recovery and the regeneration of whatever it is you're going through is like the name of the game. And that's taking up so much of your day, not just the actual recovery process, massages, um, you know, light, light lifting or whatever, whatever your methods are, the psychological component to recovery and resting is like super important. So getting around and walking like for five miles a day is never going to happen. They're not like sightseeing. They might get out for a short walk, get some fresh air, get some vitamin D with the sun, but you know, it's, it's more or less managing the emotion of what they're going through and that's what's so beautiful about this game because nobody knows how it's going to end up and
1: for the U.S. women I'm assuming it's a lot higher detail of security in terms of like you even being able to go outside for fresh air
2: yeah 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 not you're not really allowed to do much um if you are you got to go in groups uh you got to probably now and and you know I'm not in the team anymore but I'm sure that You know, they've got security guards and agents that are from the state office that are walking around with them no matter what. And it's hard because, you know, you get cooped up. You get, like, so sick of – I mean, there's only so many TV shows you can watch. I feel like I've watched all of them. So you get good at um, boredom. You get good at, uh, you know, playing, playing video games or board games or something. You do some sort of creative thing you know, during a few tournaments, I would bring my guitar and we'd like make songs up. And then now with social media, I think a lot of the players are, are excited about social media because it gives them like a an outlet. It gives them something to do and it gives them a communication with their fans. So it's, it's exciting to see. And I'm sure that the technologies of how their bodies are actually recovering are much and far, far more technologically advanced than, than when I was playing. So... I definitely don't envy the place that they're in right now. I don't I would not I wouldn't even want to switch places with any of them cuz above all of that you have this like overwhelming amount of stress that nobody talks about. Nobody's like, "Oh my god, I'm so stressed. Like what if I play bad?" Like that's not the way that our national team operates. It's like you go forward and like we are going to win this game and there's no opportunity for questions like yes, like organizational stuff, but like we're, there's no question we are winning this tournament and we're going to do whatever it can. So any kind of like insecurity or wonder or, Oh, uh, you know, like that's not a lot of, you can't talk about it. So for me, that's, that's the stuff that's really hard to deal with. Do you have a sports uh, psychologist on the road with you? Um, I think that they do. I don't know if they do. Um, but I know that we have had them yeah. in the past. Um, would,
0: would that have been something that may of helped somebody that you guys could go speak to with no sort of you know it would be it would be just you guys and nothing outside of that room would be told to any of the coaches or anything like that.
2: Yeah, we've had we have people that um have come in and and taken on that. I don't know if they're actually traveling one with right, right now. Um but the the thing is is, you know, sports psychology is great and um yet still it's not going to do anything to change the stress factor yeah. at all. Like I, it's just the way that it is. I
1: also felt like most of the times that I had a sports psychologist around, it was hired by the coaching staff, and I was yeah. always just like, I don't want this that? person. Right, you know what okay, I mean? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, this person may have had a bad session because you know. Side note: this, yeah. is, what, this is what they're going through, and I, like right. I never trusted that person enough to like actually. Tell them and tell them ethically,
2: ethically speaking, those kind of people that are put in positions that they're taking on the sports psychology role are not supposed to be sharing. But as a, as an athlete who is trying to gain as much control over their the outcome of whether they play or how well they're playing, like because that is such an uncontrollable factor, what you can control is like what you tell that person. Because right. what if they what if they said this or that or what if they say it to another teammate? You know, so. No, I would always tell the the players to probably get somebody on the outside. I was gonna say, is that where like your family comes in and yeah, or, of course, or, or, of yeah. course. But you know, the other thing is families are the ones that are probably the most stressed out of anybody <laughs> yeah. because they just want they just want to win yeah. for for their kid, right? And defenders and goalkeepers' parents have it the worst, you know, because they're not the ones that are going to be scoring the goals. And if nobody's talking about the defenders and goalies, that means they did really good, right? right? Yeah. Um, if you're talking about them, then something happened, which isn't in that in that end of the the field, so that's not good. So my heart goes out to all the goalkeepers' parents and and uh, all the defenders' parents.
0: They're yeah. the strongest parents out of the whole school. <laughs> you guys, no, the problem is
2: you go
1: through a loss too, and then you talk to your parents, and like you had such a great game. And I was like, I'm a defender, and we gave up three goals. Yeah, and it was in a big game. They're like, yeah, but you did a good job. I'm like, it's yeah. not helping. You're making yeah. me more yeah. bad.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. why. Like, if I make a if if I make a song, I don't usually like. I'll, my mom would be like, can I hear it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. But I know whatever I, I play to her, she's like, that's great. And I know it might be the worst thing I've ever yeah. made, but I know it's just going to be like positive reinforcement, which is nice. Yeah. It's
2: always nice to hear, but maybe not the most honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Parents are funny like that and, and necessary, right? Like my parents did the same stuff and it was my job to remind them because it's so easy as, as, a, as a psychological advantage to be like, well, I played fine but we lost, right? It's an easy thing to go down that road, but your parents just want, are, are in, all parents, myself included, are incapable of like letting our children feel anything bad right. or experience any kind of pain, right? So they just want to find, they're the bright sides. like right? Our parents are bright-siders, like all parents in the world. And I, I think that it's important because that's how they try to make us feel less pain, and it's also important because it gives us an opportunity to be like, yes, but... I, it doesn't matter if I play well when we lose, right? Like the most important thing is if we win. Period. End of story.
1: You are an advocate for failing, essentially, right? For for yeah. for kids or people to go through, uh, especially in 2019, where everything's really, really sensitive, to allow people to fail totally. and. Learn from it?
2: Yeah, so many things in the world. I, I mean, I call it making failure fuel, but I think essentially what I'm trying to Have say... Can you trademark that? Because I might steal that. Yeah. It is in the Wolfpack book, so yes. Uh. I, I, I don't know if it's trademarked yet, <laughs> yeah. but um, I think it's really important. You know, We're in a day and age that participation trophies are a thing, are actually happening. Competitiveness is seen as, um, in some ways, negative. Uh, And I think that everything, actually, I know this, every single good thing that has ever happened in my life has directly come from a failure. I can always draw that line. But I don't think that people spend enough quality time thinking about their lives, thinking about who they are, thinking about what they actually believe to be true, and then trying to figure out how it is they came to that belief. So we have so much social media, so much rhetoric, so much stuff, Mass information that we actually don't know what we truly believe anymore. People don't. They're believing the last thing they read, right? And it's actually like becoming a psychologically proven fact that if you read something enough, it becomes a part of your bias. So people have to actually sit themselves down, write down what you believe, figure out, draw that line back to why and how you came to believe it. And then ask yourself the most important question, does this still ring true to me today, right? Because where we were all born and raised is different and it has nothing to, it's just pure luck, right? Like I was lucky that I was born white, right? Like you were lucky that you were born white male, right? And I think that we have to call it what it is. It's just pure luck. And, and, and the fact of the matter is that because we don 't allow ourselves the opportunity on a personal level to fail, then we are incapable of letting other people around us fail as well we 're quick to point fingers we 're quick to to cut somebody down, and that what that first and foremost does is just doesn 't allow us to communicate through some of this difference that we are because the the only thing that we actually are are different from person to person to person, and that is the beauty of what humanity is so you know, I could go on and on about this, but I just think that failure is a really important value system to embed and teach into your children's lives because what we're teaching them is to be human. And when you present yourself as a parent as this perfect or perfection, then you're showing your kid that being an adult means you are perfect. And so when they become an adult and they start making mistakes, then they feel like crap about themselves. Yeah, because I guess no one's achieved anything great without struggle. Not a single person. And also not without the help of somebody else. Yeah. Nobody's done anything on their own. Not one thing on their own. That's
1: the thing that I find bizarre is still the the constant notion of self-made, right? (laughs) And even if it was an inadvertent thing, no one's really self-made. You could do 99%, but there's still that one person that was probably that, like, defining moment of you as a child whether it's as simple as a coach picking you up because you needed a ride regularly to get to the place like at some point along the way you were extended you were uh, birthed
2: into this world yeah that's it yeah you needed other people to get you here you needed other people like human infants are they would die if they were not cared for right so you there is there is this biological understanding that other people are necessary so when people are like i did this on my own i'm self-made and i did this and it's like no like nobody did anything you don't you don't even score a penalty on your own think about all the 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 times that you stayed after practice practicing your penalties becoming proficient at it and who is in the goal like every every goalkeeper that you ever played against they're the one who's training you for that moment so That is where we need to disassociate ourselves a little bit from our narcissistic mindsets and and our more collective mindsets.
1: That's the way that I always try to get out of making a mistake defensively, is I'd be like, yeah, but if that person made the tackle 30 (laughs) seconds earlier, it wouldn't have come all the way down to me to have to make this play, so let's blame that person. It didn't work very often. That's Um, how I feel about defending. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, you, you went through not failure but but shortcomings on your quest to winning a world cup yeah how much did that play a role both individually obviously the hardest thing is ex- is understanding failure in, in a team dynamic right like mm-hmm. how much you shoulder mm-hmm. from the first to the 23rd player in that roster yeah. how how does that play a role in sort of your quest for for achieving yeah. the ultimate goal
2: well it's so it's so important and this is kind of how I came to understand the philosophy of not just making failure fuel but leading from the bench i think that you know, 2000, 2015, I was I was offered, which is a mindset shift, folks. Like, hear this: I was offered a unique opportunity to assess the game from a different perspective. I wasn't going to be starting like I had, and though I was dis- disappointed with the, the decision um, that we came to, I had to understand that I am I am a part of this team, and every team before this that I had won on, if I were to actually go and, and point out every single player, I would actually be able to tell you that every person mattered, even if they didn't play a single minute in that championship game. So I channeled like the best inner teammate that I possibly could throughout the 2015 world cup. And I used it as an opportunity rather than a rather. So this failure, I just turned it, I like flipped it on its head. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this the best thing that ever happened to me. And the irony in it is that sitting on the bench, I was able to learn the most important lessons of leadership that I had yet to learn because so many people think leadership is being in the front and being the face and being the goal scorer or whatever that means in your world. But in fact, leadership is knowing the difference between being in the front and when your team needs you to be there. Or being in the back and letting your team go ahead in front of you and, and be able to, to hone themselves and perform and do it from that perspective. Uh, and I think that that gave me this perspective and this mindset like, oh, if I'm not a leader on the bench, then I can't call myself a leader on the field. And too often this happens because we let our egos get the best of us. We let our egos start operating and and creating these responses that we wouldn't be proud of. So when I think about this time in my career, I think I'm actually more proud of the way that I responded to this benching than any big goal that I ever scored. And that's that's really not an easy thing to say because I'm proud of some of the big goals that I've scored. But, you know, I think in the end, when I look back on, on my time in the national team, it's one of the things that I'm most proud of. That shift
0: of mindset when you were on the bench, <clears throat> how much did that correlate with your
2: mindset outside of football as well? Yeah, well, it, it gave me an opportunity to understand that, that soccer, though I thought it was my identity, that soccer, in fact, wasn't, right? Like for, for 30 years, I thought that soccer made me special. But in reality... I, what I bring to the game, what I bring to, to everything um, made soccer special. And I get to bring myself everywhere I go. And so do you, right? So rather than having the idea of all of these external things, making us and labeling us and creating our own identities, in fact, what they are, are the receipts of like what we did, right? Rather than who we are, like we get to actually make all of the things that we do special, and I think that 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 opportunity of leading from the bench did give me a platform for what I'm doing now in the world. It gave me an opportunity to become a public speaker, to become an author, to start a leadership company on my own, because I truly have, I feel, been exposed to, and and I'm still learning, by the way. I'm not like perfect the perfect leader but i i really enjoy the whole mindset and and the puzzles and the complexities of leadership because everywhere you go there's a leadership problem or there's something that can be done to better efficiently get the group from where they are to where they ought to be
1: that's really crazy yeah i, I i'm just sort of realizing that now like some of my biggest regrets or failures of my career were more so little to do with results and more how i responded to results mm. like the hastiness of which you handle a situation that you're not in control of a benching being cut from something, those things. And then not necessarily the feelings that you take in, but your response to them, whether uh that's like talking shit or being angry or allowing it to affect, affect everything. I'm like going through therapy right now, (laughs) letting it all (laughs) out. But I've realized that, that, yeah, like the things that bothered me the most were, oh, like the regrets were, were never like sort of the actions on the pitch or what you couldn't control. It was always like sort of what I was doing around the pitch and the time that I wasn't on the field that was toxic. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's how you mm. respond to the actions that are
2: happening to that's, you in that moment. I that's think. it. And I think that, I think that instantly I got that download. I don't know why, but instantly I knew, okay, if I respond poorly to this, this is what's going to happen. If I respond positively to this, this is going to be the thing that happens. And I think that what it did, what it did for me, though it's harder to go down that road, it allowed me to hold on to my power and and my self-esteem because I wasn't giving it away. Because our egos, it's like the opposite game, right? So like when we respond it's like the knee-jerk reaction like, "No, I should be playing like this is bullshit." Like whatever whatever kind of negative response it would be, like that's all like your ego and then over here is like your higher self like the wisdom piece of you that um that wants to operate at a at a totally different vibration and i think that that for whatever reason i went that down that road and it was a- i was able to hold on to my power and not let a coach or this decision take away my joy and everybody has access to that it's just really hard to do
1: mm-hmm. majority i would say though people would go down the ego route right yeah, like probably. just
0: I can definitely remember a time that I did when I got sub off. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: What about in, in, say your your music career as a DJ? Was there a time that somebody is sort of booked a gig that you were on or anything like that where you just like automatically feel like you're more deserving and your ego comes out and just goes like, yeah, this yeah, is
2: or nice. a record deal like you didn't get it or you should have got you. Yeah. Wondered the, if you got more.
1: There's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of egos in music
0: as you can imagine. There probably is in sport as well. Yeah. I think I think DJ wise, maybe the most obvious one would be. Festivals and the lineups and the way that they're put on posters, like that's such a big deal. Oh, if you're higher up, that means you're you're more special and bigger, bolder prints, exactly. And so, what festivals have started doing now is they to just eliminate that argument. They're just like A to Z, so no one can argue, right? But. Sometimes I, my I,
1: DJ name would be Apple. Yeah,
0: this is the thing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that's a clever choice just of name. Just be A DJ <laughs> my, A. My DJ's name would be Abby. Right. Oh, oh yeah, wow. yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you're, you're a, a headliner.
0: Top. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I really don't let that stuff get to me. To be honest, like you just concentrate on on what you're doing, and all that other stuff is irrelevant.
1: Yeah, but even as as like music hit that boom, where DJs that you probably knew that you maybe weren't even that impressed with were getting mm. massive, massive deals yeah. based on like just time and place and hitting it right at the right time was that never like a thing where your ego goes like what the
0: fuck I think maybe <laughs> when I was younger yeah definitely when I was a bit younger but now as I've, I've been in the industry for like 10 years and, and that sort of thing is a complete waste of energy mm-hmm. concentrating on what other people were doing and to you got to respect the hustle, man. Like, mm-hmm. whatever they've done is working, clearly. Mm-hmm. And I respect that. However, which way you've gone about it, it's
2: probably different to everyone else. Everyone has their own path, so... Do women have a different um, road or accessibility to, like, the higher reaches of that industry in the DJ world? Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of conversations about... The
0: amount of women that are on festival lineups, the excuses that promoters put out at the reason why there aren't many women on festival lineups, like, oh, but women, they don't they don't like music or they're not into DJing, just like, you know, rubbish, (laughs) things like like that. Yeah. (laughs) Like they're just not into like buying records and blah blah blah. There's a lot more conversations going on now that are squashing those ridiculous and dated claims. And there are so many young girls who DJ. Um, that's cool. Yeah, it's really cool, actually. When I, when I first joined um, my, the first pirate station, there was three girls out of 60 of us. So there was 60 DJs, three of us were girls. And now there's, I think there's over like 20 or something. Mm. So And that's in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Know, it's like five years or whatever. So yeah, it's an interesting industry to be in as a female. And do they pay you guys the same? It's
2: hard to tell because you don't know other people's wages. So you guys got to start talking about it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's that's like a really big thing in the pay equity because I'm pretty educated and versed in it. I'm like fighting for that in yeah. the United States and one of the things that men do that women don't is talk about how much they're actually getting paid. Mm. And what that does is give you knowledge, right? So knowledge is everything for you to be able to go to your next deal or go to the next promoter or go into the next festival being like, actually, no, I know that you paid this, this woman, this, Mm. and I also know that you're paying, and you can ask the guys, like, I know you're also paying the guys this, like, why is there such a discrepancy?
0: Yeah. I read something as well that usually women, uh, price themselves lower out. than men yes. for some reason Yes,
1: Is, as you've gone through that Abby have, has there been an inherent fear of losing opportunities because yes, of that argument? Is of course.
2: That- and that's the thing that prevents women. Not necessarily women- a
1: fear, but is it a reality?
2: Yeah, it's a reality. And, and part of that fear, it's a scarcity mentality, right? So uh, it's a numbers game. If there's two seats at this table of 10 and two seats are, are directly, they're, they're going to be given to those women, all the women on the outside of this table are fighting. And what they're doing is they're fighting against each other rather than fighting for five seats at the table. So so often in the industries that that I'm I'm studying relentlessly right now to try to fix, you find women that are competing against each other.
1: So undercutting each other exactly. for that seat.
2: Exactly, right. And it's scarcity because it's planted inside of us and among us for from the beginning of our lives, right? We're we are told that all we can do is be parents, be mothers um and run foundations, right? Like that's what women are given. But now you're seeing more women getting into higher levels of, of the corporate structures. And of course, one of the things is being afraid of um, losing out or, or missing out on, on a festival. But the thing is, is, is when you start to sell yourself below, not just your market value, but um, you're selling other women out too, mm-hmm. right? So saying no and then getting word out to other other women in, in the industry that here's what the standard needs to be. That's how our women's national team has banded together and stayed so tightly because they've been unionized and they do everything together. So that's I think also why the women's movement and equality and getting pay equity has taken so, so long because women haven't figured out the concept of team Mm -hmm. because we've been fighting against each other this whole time, right? So then now here comes Abby Wambach and it's like, we all need to actually like unionize as like a whole, a whole gender until we actually start getting paid equally. Most companies in the world are paying um, their their entry-level positions on an equal level. They're hiring equal. But then there's always this choke point where you get into the higher structures of these corporations, the VPs, the C-suite levels, where you are seeing such a decline in women just being there. So we have a lot of work to do. And, um It's exciting. I mean, I have quite a bit of job security right now just because we have so much work to do. And I hope in my lifetime we can see actual equality. Do you think that um, the women who are currently in
0: the national team, that they are fully focused on the tournament or this sort of thing is at the back of their minds with the
2: the court case going on? I'm sure that they would um, say that they're only focused on this tournament Mm -hmm. because this is the one thing that they can try to control and if they do well in this tournament and can find themselves in the final and hopefully win that will do nothing but good things for this lawsuit. And you know, I'm just so proud of them. I'm, I'm proud of them and I'm sad for them that this is the time that they have to do it. This is like when they understand that the lights are on and they're shining the brightest on their team. And this is when they can, get the kind of leverage that's necessary to make these big, big uh, sweeping changes that they're asking for. And by the way, they're not asking to get paid more than the men's national team. And I think figures just came out in the wall street journal a couple of days ago that over the last three years, women have actually out earned the men's in revenue, the men's team by it's by 7 million or something. Mm-hmm. By well, I think that the new numbers are 50 and 48 over three year okay. period. Yeah. So I think it's from 2015 or 2016 until 2019. So, you know, we love the guys, and we want, and we wish nothing but the best for them. We just want to get paid. They just want to get paid equally.
1: Has there been unity? You know, it's been a long time since I've been involved with the national team, and, and relatively speaking, was n- never really involved with the, the union that that much. Is there is there a a, a dialogue or a unity on on how to to help or support or is it pretty much?
2: Yeah, I think that um, I don't think that the women's national team lawyer and the, the men's national team lawyer are talking. I could be totally wrong. I just know that from from when I was on the team, we tried to have conversations, but there's, I think that there's a belief system that if it comes from somewhere, it's going to come from the men's team's um, budgeting and whether that's true or not is irrelevant because You know, you can we can talk through the whole thing. But, you know, at the end of the day, our women's national team would love nothing more than to have good relationships, close relationships with the men's team, because um, our women's team has a unique ability and has for for all of the for all of time, I guess it seems um, to unite. And that's why our women's national team is able to get and has been able to get contracts uh, they've been on strike, and they have done really hard and difficult things to earn the things that they have right now, and that's just kind of what this lawsuit is—again, uh, them trying to band together, stick together, put their all their chips in the middle of this table before the World Cup, um, and kind of hopefully let it ride and, and come out on top in the end. So, you're a fan now. You get to
0: be a fan now. That's <coughs> the best. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you're hoping to go to Lyon. Are you going to be around? Are you going to stick around to, in France? Um,
2: I'm not going to be around for the quarters. I'm not going to be around for the final. Damn. Yeah. I'm going to Rome with the family. We're going to watch the semis and finals back in in my house. I just don't know if I would be able to be... Contain yourself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, I was watching the game yesterday... And I'm in the stadium and I'm like looking around and I don't want to like be too much. I want to like be cool. Mm. I don't want like a camera to catch me swearing. Like what What the <laughs> F was she thinking? I don't know. I just think it'll be better to watch a final in the comforts of my own home.
1: Well, yeah, we. I mean, you have so much to say, and we'd obviously love to continue this in the future, just with check-ins with you, just yeah, to keep man. keep it going. Obviously, the conversation is what's the most important to continue to push that messaging out there, and totally. We appreciate you coming down into the bunker, the bunker, and uh, letting us pick your brain for a Same. little
2: bit. Same, keep on keeping on, y'all. I mean, Heath, I know you, you. you just keep doing what you're doing and we're gonna grow this thing. It's pretty awesome. Copper ninety, football inside
0: out. And that's all for today's Football Inside Out. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh business as usual, coming to you from the beautiful sunny Leon. Have you been there? Um yes, I spent about four hours there before nice. Sounds um, yeah at a train station but <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping to experience it a little bit better this time uh, make sure you subscribe on apple podcast spotify acast or wherever you listen to your podcast so you never miss an episode and if you've enjoyed it please leave us a review
1: and subscribe to the newsletter head to copa90.com slash wc19 and click or tap on copa90 friends daily to sign up and get in touch because we'd love to hear from you football inside out at copa90.com and tweet using the hashtag copa90 inside out and we will see you all manana bye This This is a We Are Great great production production. for Copper90.